folks, and welcome to episode 18 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and spirit guide on this metal journey. In this episode, I talked to Jake Sininger of the band Umphreys McGee. Later, John Garcia, the former vocalist of many important Deseret bands, one of which being Caius, discusses his first band, and I recommend the latest from Vibrant Heels. So I'd like to start off this episode by explaining that I'm fully aware Umphreys McGee is not a metal band. However, and I tell this to Jake, I hear enough metal influence to their sound to warrant crossover appeal. And if you're a regular listener to this and a metal fan, you owe it to yourself to give these guys a go. Now, Jake Sinegar is one of the guitarists of the Indiana band Umphreys McGee. Umphreys McGee is a self-described improg band. The band dabbles in hard rock, new wave, reggae, funk, and a lot more. The band are often lumped in with the jam band umbrella. And while there is some truth to that label, there is just so much more to this band, and each member is able to, and often does, play with virtuosic abilities. Virtuosic? Virtuosic. Some sort of abilities that are very, very high. They have released 10 studio albums and over 1,300 live albums documenting just about every show they've played. Most recently, they released the mashup album Zonky. Before we kick off my chat with the surprisingly metal Jake, here's some of the Zonky track Frankie Zombie, which combines White Zombie's Thunderkiss 65, Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Relax, and Pink Floyd's Have a Cigar. Not bad. Uh, how are you? How was Florida treating you? Good. We uh, it's been a while since we've done four shows in the Panhandle, so it's we're getting our little bit of summer early down here. That's for sure. Oh, I bet it's it's rather nice. I've never actually been to Florida. I've been to Georgia, which was neat in, in the vicinity, but you know. Yeah, it's about upper 80s, lower 90s right about now. So it's it's feeling it. <laughs> the the heat gets to me so bad that sounds kind of kind of not great but i like the idea of being that warm near a beach mm-hmm. right yeah you gotta be, if you're gonna be in the heat you gotta be by the water that's for sure absolutely <laughs> all right man well uh thank you for joining me here on my podcast far beyond metal like uh you may have been hip to it is a metal podcast i know umphreys mcgee is not traditionally a metal a metal band per se i f- right i right. feel like there are elements to it and uh as a heavy fan, I certainly see them, and I'm told you're the metal guy of the band. Would you say this is accurate? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, growing up uh, in southern Michigan, there wasn't much culture there. The only culture was Headbangers Ball every weekend, you know, waiting until midnight for that, that show to show up, and then, like, see who was hot, who was not, you know, and then go to the record store and try to find the stuff, you know. Because there just really wasn't much happening in southern Michigan, so and, and there obviously no internet, you know, no 
communicado via computer, you know, this and that. So that's kind of like where we had to find our stuff. Who were some of your favorites from that uh, that Headbangers Ball era? Yeah, I was definitely into the thrash scene, you know, like the, the Testament, the uh, Anthrax, you know, Megadeth, uh, uh, even some of the hair metal I was, you know, totally into because that was the era because I'd grown up in the late 80s and early 90s, so that's kind of when that stuff was super prevalent. I feel like that's something you can say now, but I'm not, were you able to admit it then without like getting getting shit for it? <laughs> well, then it was like there wasn't much else. It was either like you know crappy pop on the radio or rap or metal. So it was kind of like all my buddies in high school. That's we were kind of like who could find the heaviest uh, cassette tape? You know, I think I, my my mine was like obituaries, cause of death. I, I was always drawn towards like those guys, some of that like Florida, you know, death metal scene, stuff like that. Did you often win that competition throwing out obituary and I'm assuming like Cannibal Corpse oh, and the for likes? Sure. Awesome. I was like, like the most blood curdling grunts and you know this and that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have to say, side note, I saw Anthrax on Sunday. They're fucking still fantastic. They hold up so well. Yeah, a lot of the original guys too. Isn't Joey Belladonna singing with them? It's it's Joey, Charlie, Frank, Scott, and then the guitarist from Shadows Fall is on lead, which is I'm not used to because I loved Shadows Fall when I was younger and I didn't know that. Right, before. right. But Dan Spitz has been out for a minute now. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, they're crack tight, man. Those guys have always done it right. So you know? good. Um. So those... I even I even like going back to the old uh, like SOD stuff like you know like the speak english or die record like we always got a kick out of that one back in the day <laughs> i guess they regularly play march of the sod and they did on sunday night sweet they just that's I, like you know that's like instant old school classic absolutely i like i'm not as up on my uh, sod as i feel like i should be but like i followed scotty and just about everywhere else yeah we do uh one song off of that we do uh the ballad of Jimi hendrix and it's only like three seconds long it's just like the <laughs> intro to purple haze and then it goes you're dead <laughs> so it's like a three seconds long play god that i feel like that whole album would not fly in 2017 i mean it's based on the title not so on the title alone yeah, not so it's so wrong it really is <laughs> have you guys ever done uh you suffer by napalm death oh that's a good one man i love I, those guys still kick my ass you know i mean just great history with napalm death so those are your favorites from that era who are your favorite heavy bands of like all time all time um you know obviously the the blueprints like like you know sabbath volume four oh, that's my sabbath favorite record five. ever <laughs> yes like those those records i even like you know uh uh never say die even like the weird Sabbath records I'm, I'm totally down with so like kind of who was cutting the cloth you know you know precursors to it all and you know even like the Blue Cheers and some of the early Rush records um even going back to like stuff like UFO Scorpions you know like the Tokyo tape Scorpions I always thought was a really amazing record for for that era uh I've heard you guys play Rush covers is uh how do I word this? Is that something that's a challenge for some of you guys in the band, or are you just like across the board, just all prog nerds? 
Yeah, I mean, like, we've kind of exercised this part of our brain of, you know, if we can hear it, we can generally figure out and play it, get the tone pretty close to the original. And everyone's just got great facility, so it's kind of like, you know, hear it, figure it out, play it, get the right timing, get the right feel, you know, try to, you know, nail the guitar solo close to the original, add a little bit of my own stuff, you know, so it's, it's always a challenge. We're always up for it. I, I actually just, this isn't even a question. I enjoyed your cover of uh, 46 and 2 by Tool. Like, oh, yeah, that's it, it's a fun one. It feels like really out of left field, but it, it's solid. Yeah, it's it's that stuff is so precise and tight that um, it's great. Our, our drummer, Chris, actually sings the song and plays the drum part. So it's like he's got like double duty on that one. Uh, what is the process of deciding songs you guys cover uh, on the stage? Because I know you guys are no strangers to throwing out like uh, something kind of unexpected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we have a cover list um, along with our original list. We have about, I'd say, about 150 original songs and about 300 cover songs that we can kind of, you know, drift through over the year. And, uh, you know, try not to repeat our covers often, so we have so many on the list. So it's like basically uh, if someone feels really strong about a song, I think uh, our bass player brought the 46 and 2 idea. He's a huge Tool fan. He was like, we got to do this one. And then we're all, we're all very democratic. So we're like, okay, all right, let's try it. If it sounds good, we'll play it, you know? <laughs> uh, similarly, how did the uh, process of bringing the collections of songs for Zonky work? Yeah, that was uh, kind of a – I kind of had this idea – to, to put the, the idea of this mashup thing on record. I was like, you know what? We could actually pull this thing off and do it all in respectively our own homes, just send the fi- the recording files uh, via internet. And then you just, so, so basically everyone got to do their parts in their own home. So it was great. So basically took the live grids of these mashup songs um, and threw them into pro- a Pro Tools session, right? And then we basically just just put it in perfect time, and and then we could kind of edit where we wanted just like a short guitar solo and get rid of certain parts that weren't working. So we kind of did a a two track fake version on Pro Tools, and then we just kind of played to that. Just started adding the drums and getting the drum tones just like the original recordings. Getting the you know are we using an SG on the ACDC part? You know all these these standardized sort of things. You know. So it was cool. It was like an experiment of just sending the files around and when they were all recorded, take them to the studio, chop it up properly. And it just really worked out smoothly. I think it's a really, I think it's a really cool, interesting album that I've never heard anything like. Uh, So to anyone listening, if they don't know it, Zonky mashup album by Umphreys McGee dropped last year. I believe it's, it's definitely worth your time. Um, Were there, were there any, things that people were pushing for that just didn't seem to work, like just cutting room floor sort of cover attempts. Yeah, we did. We tried uh, an Aerosmith. It was like Walk This Way, Run DMC, and Funk 49 by James Gang. So we kind of like take all those three songs. They're all in the, the relative key and the, and the same tempo. So you can start, start, start to see what works. So that one just didn't make the list. And I think we, we have like... 17 or 18 actual mashups. So there were quite a few full mashups that we've done in the past live that just didn't make that the donkey recording. 
And I, I know famously an artist like Prince would not let somebody do something like that with his music. Did you have any legal issues dating any songs on the record? No, it, it's it, we've gotten nothing but positive feedback. I think that because we didn't use their actual recordings, we just we just played the parts. So so it, it kind of legitimized that side of it. So so it's basically we're kind of doing them a favor by showing. Uh, their music off to our fans and maybe they'll go buy their records, you know? So it's kind of a reciprocal thing. And, but no, no legality so far. It's like if a, if a guy like girl talk can take the actual samples of these recordings and make, and make his sort of thing out of it. I mean, we could just play our own part. So it's, it's a little bit safer. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like thieving the actual parts, you know? Yeah, Totally. Uh, without going too, I don't know, revealing too much about the band, how does how do you guys work in a live setting, or would you prefer to keep it magical? Because I I'm someone who likes prog metal. I'm a metal guy, and I like to watch a performance and figure out how people are doing certain things. I cannot figure right. out how the fuck you guys do what you do. Like yeah, there's improv there's a, little, a little yeah, there's a little secret to. Uh the improv thing there's a lot of like hand signals that we use like it's like a form of sign language on stage where we can uh throw any of the key signatures like a b c d a b c d e f or whatever mm-hmm. and then basically in sign language i can show like the key of f to the band and then the next measure we would drop in on the downbeat on the one so i'll throw the signal and then one two three four boom everyone shifts to, to the key of F. So it's very intentional, but then in the moment, it's pretty much improv because we're just throwing the signal and then the, 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 something new happens. So that's that's one part of it. And then we have these talkback microphones since we're uh, in in-ear monitoring, so, so everything's isolated. <clears throat> we can step on like a pedal and it opens up my talkback mic and I can talk to the band and go, let's go to G minor seven, D minor seven and E flat major seven, and I'll be like, okay, one, two, three, four, boom, we 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 hit the chord progression. So you can like literally set up a new chord progression, and then count it off, and everyone will fall in accordingly. And I'm assuming similarly, you guys do different rhythmic changes and uh, energy changes the same way. Yeah, like I, I'm a huge fan of cross rhythms, like using odd meter mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> over like just typical four four time one two three four one two three four. I'm thinking one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one. So a lot of times I'll be like drifting around in in like five eight seven eight nine eight, you know six eight, while while the rest of the band would say be, be in four four. So a lot of that sort of rhythmic inter- interplay, like King Crimsony, sort of things going to happen.
That was Miss Tinkle's Overture from their Oakland gig in 2012. You can find that track and thousands of more on umlive.net. I'll have more with Jake in a bit, but first, this is my first band. Every musician has to start somewhere, and in this episode, John Garcia, the former vocalist of Caius and current vocalist of the aptly named John Garcia, discusses his heavy metal origins. Uh, my very first band that I ever played in was a band called Captain Jammer. Uh, and it was with uh, Josh Brandt and Chris Cockrell, and we were we were kind of uh, punk slash you know Black Sabbath slash Led Zeppelin uh, slash Misfits Bad Brains uh, cult uh, Danzig type of Danzig type of kind of uh, uh, Blended all into one, into one thing, and and we, and we were all horrible. Um, it, was, <laughs> it was just, it was just four guys, four young high school guys getting in the room and 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 just, <clears throat> you know, pounding the guitars and, and hitting the the PA as hard as we could, and and that's what we did, and that's where we started from. So, um, yeah, you know, as a as a fan, that's. Of music, I wanted to sing, and, and that's where we started from, and and uh, we took it from that. I'm not sure. So. If the, I'm not sure if there are recordings of that, but if there are, could you listen to them without cringing? Um, mm, probably not. Uh, absolutely not. You know, hey, looking back, maybe. <clears throat> and I'll be 47 this year, Daniel. So this is when I was, you know, this is when I was 17 years old. So uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe for for comedic uh, you know purposes, maybe if I wanted a good laugh, I would, I would listen to some of those old tapes. And I do still have, uh, I think, a couple of them. But um, it's not it's not something that I, I'm, uh, I'm 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 not that hard up for 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 a laugh. That, of course, was Green Machine by Caius from their album Blues for the Red Sun. John has an acoustic version of that track you can hear on his latest album, The Coyote That Spoke in Tongues. And you can also hear my full interview with John back on episode 14. Just head to iTunes and search Far Beyond Metal under podcasts. Before we get back to Jake of Umphreys McGee, here's some of what might be the most metal song in their catalog. From their set in Denver in 2013, this is Wizard Burial Ground.
Uh, you guys are constantly on the road. Uh, what is your off time like? Well, I've got I've got a family in South Bend, Indiana. I got three kids, uh, six, four, and three. So I got I got my hands full when when the the artist valve shuts off, and then the family valve turns on, basically. So it's kind of like a nice you know two sided lifestyle. You know, I get to go out here and you know, be a rocker for a while. And then when it's time to go home, you know, daddy mode, totally. Uh, what do your kids think of what you do? Like, do they like the the music you make? Oh yeah, they love it. They're like, you know, they understand that it's sort of a, a, a different objective, a different job set. Um, they know that no one else they know kind of does this sort of thing. So they, they look at it as a kind of a special thing. Do they brag to their friends? Cool. They really, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, daddy's a rock star. And then all the teachers are, are like, how was tour? You know, were you, where were you this week? You know, so, so it's kind of a known thing. Pretty cool. Um, I've been wanting to ask somebody in like you're seeing this question for a long time. Is the term jam band a slur to like bands that improv on stage? Or is that like, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't really like the term because it definitely kind of pigeonholes a bit it's like no one really wants to listen to a jam band you know like just the the moniker of that just doesn't set well for me you know because it's at the end of the day it's like uh you know rock and roll it's as simple as that it's just good old-fashioned rock and roll it's just now that as time has gone by everything's got to be labeled so specifically Mm -hmm. i think and then it's sort of you know Instantly, when you go jam band, everyone thinks Fish or Grateful Dead, and it's like, no, that's 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 not the way it is. We were influenced by something totally different, you know. Absolutely. And those guys were influenced. So, so like, our influences sort of pick up in the late '80s, early '90s, and then going back to like the proggy stuff, the '70s. You know, getting away from, you know, maybe bluegrass and jazz, and maybe go towards Nine Inch Nails and Metallica. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like. I, I I struggle with starting off that way, describing you guys as sound to people. I'm like, it's it's like fish. But wait, wait, let me finish. Yeah. And then it's, yeah, it's but totally. but not at all. Uh, changing gears, yeah. uh, have you considered doing another solo album like your self-titled release? Or ha- since some yeah, of those songs yeah. since some of those songs become Umphrey's songs, is there a need for it anymore? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. I've got I've got a wonderful studio in, in Southern Michigan I've had for about. 25 years and I've got just a huge back catalog of, of stuff I've been doing there all those years so I've, I've got literally like 500 songs that no one's even heard before so it's like I thought about doing a huge release and just like releasing like 300 songs at once you know because they're all mixed and just kind of sitting on a shelf and then sometimes we use those songs for up and coming Umphrey's you know, records or whatnot, but there's just a huge body of work there just kind of sitting. So I'm like, oh, what do I want to do with this stuff? You know, so it's crossed my mind for sure. And, and maybe a, kind of a silly question. How do you guys determine what versions of your songs wind up studio tracks rather than, like, do you pull from live performances of a song before you take it to the studio? and like, all right, we want September 1st uh, breakdown on this song. Right, right. No, we generally get into the studio and want like the best representation of the song. So we'll kind of trim the fat, what I like to kind of call trim the fat of the song, 
and kind of get to the real real meat and potatoes of the song and save like any exploratory thing for like the live setting so so like when it's a studio release we just kind of want to get down to the brass tack of the arrangement and, and present it that way kind of the way we perceive the song as like a studio cut so and then and then we can stretch it out live and make it 25 minutes you know for the live setting <laughs> if need be yeah What's the craziest thing you've seen happen at one of your shows? Because I've been to, I've only been to one show, unfortunately. And at that show, somebody in the audience kept trying to give me acid. And that's <laughs> like, I'm not against it, but I don't do acid. But she was very persistent. Right. What's the craziest thing you've seen? <laughs> okay. I would, this just popped in my head. Um, it was at Summer Camp Festival, probably. This is in Chillicothe, Illinois. And, you know, good grungy five-day fest. People are getting pretty loose. And, and all of a sudden, I see this, this naked hippie girl, completely naked with, like, dreads, huge dreadhead. And she's trying, she's, like, eyeing me, and, like, she's totally out of her mind. She's climbing over the, the, the front gate of the stage, and she's trying to get up on stage. I don't know what the hell's going on, but she looks like she wants to, like, attack me or something. So, and then all of a sudden security like takes her off, you know, but there was that look in her eye and I was like, something's wrong here. You know, this naked, uh, Adretti, uh, is coming at me and no one's stopping her. And I'm like <laughs> right in the middle of the song, you know, it's it pretty bizarre. Uh, and I'm going to start winding down a little bit. Uh, I know you guys just dropped mm -hmm. Zonky last, last year. Uh, do you have another studio album in the yeah, near future? Yeah, we do actually. We, uh, just are finishing up the mixing on about 25 new songs so so we've got a, like a huge double album kind of thing that we've been working on for about six months Red. and uh yeah it's like it goes everywhere there's some really like heavy really dark stuff on there and then super accessible stuff so it's really waning in all directions we didn't really go for like one particular sound on, on this next recording it's kind of back to the more proggy uh, sensibilities of the band. That's, that's going to be really cool. I'm, I'm super excited for that. All right, man. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of this tour. And I think you guys have a, 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 a short break after these Florida dates, correct? Yeah, I've got about 15, 16 days off. So I'm, I'm ready to take my kids to baseball practice and try to write some new songs at the same time. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to a new record. And next time you're in the uh, on the West Coast, I'll, I'll be there. To Definitely. We'll look forward to it, Daniel. Brad, man. Thanks for talking to me. All right. Take care, buddy. You too.
As you heard with my chat with Jake, Humphreys McGee are about to hit the studio and record a double album, so look for that soon. The band are constantly touring, so you can find dates as well as how to order their mashup album Zonky over at umfreeze.com. I like to end each episode with a recommendation, and in this episode, I am bringing you the track Soak It Up by Vibrant Heels. Vibrant Heel is our hard rock band out of Quebec, Canada. They bring catchy melodies and groovy tracks and wind up with something that's kind of difficult to label. The band just released their album Driven, and from that release, here is Soak It Up.
You can find Soak It Up as well as the rest of Driven on iTunes, Google Play, and, and all your other various digital platforms. For more Vibrant Heels, head to facebook.com slash Vibrant Heels. So that'll do it for this episode of Far Beyond Metal. If you want to talk to me, you can email me at farbeyondmetaldan at gmail.com. I'm at Twitter at Ovacord, and the show is at facebook.com slash farbeyondmetal. And as always, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.